I first encountered Proverbs when I was about 26 years old. I was on leave, a couple months leave from my work in Chicago. And I came out to Palo Alto, California, uh, largely because I wanted to meet or hang out with a girl, but uh, also because I had some work to do. Uh, while I was in Palo Alto, I signed up for a class at Peninsula Bible Church, which is a church I went to when I was a student. And uh, the class was on Proverbs. I signed up not because I was particularly fascinated or interested in Proverbs, but because that's what was on offer. And I thought it would probably be good for me. I knew that I knew the teacher and I thought it would be interesting. And uh, I would say when I started this class, my view of Proverbs, which I knew a little bit about, was more or less the same way I viewed American Proverbs. You know, like uh, uh, Stitch in Time Saves Nine and, and A Rolling Stone Gathers No Moss. Those are, you know, interesting, piquant, uh, maybe quotable, but not anything you would study or think was going to change your life. But when I started really seriously studying Proverbs in this class, I realized that this was something quite different. I was encountering a large, complicated, subtle body of literature that had been carefully crafted in order to enable me to live a better life. And it began to really challenge me. At the same time, I was being challenged by this girl. Her name was Popey, and we were semi-attached, but... Uh, I was watching very carefully how she interacted with people and everything she did. I was quite fascinated by her, in fact. And she had the most amazing way of talking to and about people. I had never really quite encountered anything like it. She had this way of uh, finding something good in everybody she knew and holding it up for public admiration, not just admiring it herself or making a compliment to the person, but telling the whole world about what a wonderful quality this person had. It wasn't really my style. I was, I was a very serious young man and this was a little gushy, but as I watched it, I saw it had a, a huge impact on people. They began to gain confidence over a period of time. They began to act more like themselves and more relaxed and better in relationship with other people. In fact, she was having a huge influence on her circle of acquaintances and friends. And I had, you know, I wanted to have influence, but I thought of influences like giving speeches, writing books, being the head of a committee, organizing something. And this was influence from below. Nobody pointed her, nobody, uh, you know, informed her of her duties. She just made a difference. And when I pulled together that observation and what I was reading in Proverbs, especially what Proverbs said about words, I was extremely challenged. And I began to think that I had a lot to learn about how to talk to people. I've been learning ever since. Uh, still got a lot to learn. But I'd like to share with you five of the Proverbs that uh, I think are, are quite striking as you encounter them regarding how we talk. And the first is this one, 1218. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, most of us, and I certainly would include myself in this, uh, just talk 
open our mouth, say what we think, say what comes to mind. Not a lot of thought about it ahead of time, unless, you know, we're giving a formal talk or something. But this proverb tells us that that's not good. It is the recklessness. The reckless words are words that are given thoughtlessly. And they pierce like swords. How does a sword pierce? Well, a sword makes a very small wound if it pierces straight in, but it goes very deep. In fact, it can be fatal. And most of us, if we're really thoughtful, will find that we can remember something that somebody said to us at some time, maybe in the third grade, that really pierced, and we still remember it. Do they remember it? No. They don't remember it because they were speaking without thinking, and it didn't matter anything to them at all. I remember a boy who came up to me in the third grade and said, that sweater looks like a girl's sweater. It was a lovely cable knit red sweater that my mother had made for me. And I thought it looked very nice, but I never wore it again. And not only did I lose my sweater, but I lost some of my self-esteem because I wasn't very confident about the way I looked and the way I dressed. And I felt uglier than I had before. And I still remember it 40, 50 years later. The reckless words pierce like swords. And, and there are, you know, there are words that are said by a parent, thoughtlessly by a teacher, thoughtlessly by a brother or sister or a friend that just kill you. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The wise are the people who think before they speak. They have learned how to speak creatively and to bring healing with their words. 1523, the next verse, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Now, this is the idea of saying the right thing at the right time, and it is an art form. You have to really work at getting good at it. Let me give you an example. It's, it's again from my wife, Popey. It was right here in this church. It was in Ingram Hall. Uh, imagine the scene. Every, it's very crowded. People are talking. It's noisy as all get out. And uh, they're serving coffee and donuts. And, and this man, Dick, comes up to Popey and just spills his guts. He just lays his whole life out in her. He's just desperate. His wife is dying. She's dying of cancer. And she just, she just weeps. And Dick is a, a large uh, Scandinavian man who has a lot of feelings but doesn't know how to express them very well. And he is utterly confounded about how to respond to this. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. He's just so frustrated and so awkward in this situation. He spills all this out to Popey in Ingram Hall, surrounded by people coming and going. And Popey says, look, Dick, if I had time, if we had time, we would go up to my office. I'd take you up to my office. We'd talk. We'd talk about your marriage. We'd talk about your history. We'd, we'd kind of explore this whole subject. But you know, you don't have time, and I don't think you'd come up to my office anyway, so I'm just going to tell you what to do. Put your arms around her and hold her. You don't have to say a thing. Just hold her. Just hold her and let her cry. Just hold her as long as she wants to weep. And those are the words spoken in Ingram Hall that, that got Dick through the last months of, of Carol's life. It was, it was an apt reply. It was a timely word. 
you don't just do that by accident. In fact, nobody's 100% on this. You know, we all lie awake at night thinking, oh, I wish I had said this. But you can get better at it. You can definitely get better at it if you work at it. And that's what Proverbs is telling you. Okay, 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, we all find ourselves in angry situations where there is something with a friend or a neighbor or a spouse, and there's anger in the air. And what we want to do is go pow. We want to say something that is so devastating, it just puts them in their place. And they're amazed at how brilliant our thought is. And you know what that does? It stirs up anger. It makes things worse. And you've seen that. But a gentle answer turns away wrath. It doesn't eliminate wrath, but it turns it to one side. It turns the temperature down just a little bit so that you can start moving in the right direction. A gentle answer. And then 1225, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Have you ever had that anxiety on your heart? It's like a hundred pound weight just pulling you down. It is impossible to think you're so anxious. You can't talk, you can't plan. It's just overwhelming. And then anxious people tend to make everybody around them anxious. And when two anxious people are talking to each other or interrelating, they don't do well very often. It's a real disaster. So what do you do? A kind word cheers it up. It cheers up the heart. Does it eliminate the anxiety? No, but it, it, it lifts the burden just a little bit. It helps. So, and it's very obvious, and yet how seldom we do it to speak in the middle of anxiety, a kind word. Now, finally, of this section, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. That's 15.4. A perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I had to look perverse up in the, in, in the dictionary. I, I know what perverse means. I've used it many times, but I couldn't understand immediately what perverse tongue was, what a perverse tongue is. And here are a couple synonyms that help me. Obstinate and contrary. There are people whose talk is always against the grain. They're always Say, if you say A, they say B. If they're always, they always know a little better than everybody else. They're always coming in an angular and a, and a difficult way, whatever they say. And if you live in a home with somebody who has a perverse tongue, if you grew up in a home that has a perverse tongue, you're, it can crush your spirit. It's just exhausting. And that's what Proverbs is warning us against. But a soothing tongue is a tree of life. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. What's a soothing tongue? Well, it's what we've been talking about. It brings healing. It's gentle. It's kind. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, which is this image from the Garden of Eden of a large tree rising up over everything and, and extending its arms and producing fruit that you can eat and live on. It gives you life. That's what it's like to live in a house with someone who has a soothing tongue. You can live off it. And I know, I, I my mom's been dead for 15 years, but I'm still living off her soothing tongue. She had a tongue that was a tree of life to me and to many other people. What a beautiful thing to learn to have a soothing tongue. Now here I need to shift gears a little bit. Uh, what we've been talking about 
would might lead you to believe that Proverbs is, is a self-help manual. <clears throat> One of those books on the shelf that tells you how to be successful in life. And you know, that's not all wrong. In fact, it's quite right. It's, Proverbs does help you to be successful and to live a good life. But if we stop there, we wouldn't really capture the whole picture because Proverbs is also about community, building community, having a good life in order to be part of something larger. And so there are words that Proverbs is very much against that really don't necessarily affect you as an individual, but they affect the community. One is gossip. You know, we tend to treat gossip very, uh, you know, as a trivial matter, but Proverbs does not. Proverbs is very, <clears throat> warns against gossip quite seriously because gossip just creates this crummy environment for people to relate to each other. Another thing is flattery, something else we treat very trivially, but flattery is, is like, it's like a well-meaning lie. And if the world is full of flattery, then there's no honesty. There's no, there's no genuineness in relationship. Bragging, bragging is another one. Bragging is self-centered. And so who pays attention to anyone else while there's bragging in the air? But the worst thing, the worst thing that Proverbs nails again and again is lying. Lies are terribly destructive. And that's because friendships and relationships and the good community are built on reality. And, and lying is creating an alternative reality. It's creating a fantasy world, something we want to be true or we want you to believe is true. And it destroys the possibility of dealing realistically with each other. So God hates lies. In our postmodern society, we don't. We think, oh, well, that's your opinion. You can say whatever you want. One person says one thing, another says another. Who knows what the truth is? No, there is truth. And the Lord hates anything that violates it. 1222, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And Proverbs makes clear that this concern about lying goes above just the ground level. It, does, it isn't just about our friends and our neighbors and our family members. It has to do with our, our life as a nation and the way we're ruled, the way we're led. 29.12, if a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. So if there's lying contemplated and accepted at the top, there will be corruption all the way down. That's what Proverbs says. And there's something else that Proverbs warns against. It's not really just an activity. It's an activity that becomes embedded in a person. And that person is called the mocker. It's like a, a word from a movie, the mocker, uh, the proud and arrogant person. This is 21-24, the proud and arrogant person Mocker is his name. It's not just what he does. It's become his identity. Behaves with insolent fury. Proud, arrogant, insolent, furious. That's the mocker. And whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. So you can't change a mocker. They don't, they're not subject to that. So what do you do with this destructive personality? Well, you drive them out, drive out the mocker and out goes strife.
quarrels and insults are ended. If we could eliminate mockery, people who are consistently sarcastic, who make jokes about each other, who think nothing of ridiculing others, we wouldn't have so much strife. We wouldn't have so much uh, quarrels and insults. But that, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus. And Jesus knew the Proverbs. You know, every uh, Jewish student of the Torah would have known the, the, the Proverbs well, and Jesus was certainly that. And you can tell because of the way Jesus talks to people. What about, what better exemplar of kindness, of kind words, of the right thing said at the right time, of gentleness, of truth. But at the end of his life, Jesus came before Pilate. I don't know whether Pilate was a mocker or not, but he was certainly surrounded by mockery. The, the soldiers under him mocked Jesus mercilessly. It wasn't enough for them to hit him. They had to make fun of him. They had to laugh at him. They were cruel in their behavior to him, and Pilate was their boss. I don't know if Pilate was a liar, but he certainly had the intellectual equipment to be a liar because he didn't believe that there was any truth. He was that postmodern figure who says, well, that's your opinion, but I have another opinion. It doesn't really matter. It's all politics in the end. And so he asked Jesus when they were talking together, he said, what is truth? What is truth? I don't believe in truth. Jesus didn't answer him. It's interesting. He did not answer him. But he could have answered him. In fact, he had said it loud and clear to his disciples. I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and the truth is, Jesus was the Lamb of God who was about to give his life or Pilate, and Pilate would see it. He offers conversion and transformation even to Pilate, even to a mocker and a liar. Nobody escapes the grace of God. Proverbs teaches us that we have to abhor lies and mockeries. Proverbs teaches us not to accept such practices. But in Jesus, we go beyond that. We go beyond to offer transformation, their forgiveness of sins. Our words finally are the words of grace. Our words are the words of life. Amen.